Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Tom Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Charlotte Melkert co-founder and CEO of Equalture. Nowadays, with every single feature that we are building in the platform, the question is always, is this feature in line with the mission statement that we have as a company? So the statement is, we want to shape the world of unbiased hiring. Is the feature that we are going to build in line with that statement? Or are we just building a feature because we got some customers here and there and then they're asking for some useful feature? This is Charlotte. She's been recognized amongst the top eight most talented female entrepreneurs of the Netherlands. Forbes 30 under 30, and Sifted's top 14 European Gen Z founders. She has been on her entrepreneurial journey together with her twin sister Fleur since June 2016. First, they started Female Investments to support high potential female talent in their growth of their career. And what they learned during their journey sparked the idea behind Equalture, which they founded in May 2018. Equalture is on a mission to shape the world of unbiased hiring by merging the art of neuroscience and gamification. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Charlotte to my podcast. We explore what is broken in the way we recruit talent today and why we should not accept the bias of resume-based hiring anymore. Charlotte shares the big lessons learned from her journey to create meaningful change, and thereby drills into the importance of being crystal clear on segmenting and ruthlessly aligning product strategy around a bold vision. Lastly, she also talks about her key takeaways from not only surviving the adversity of the recent pandemic, but actually coming out stronger altogether. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that often traction doesn't come from selling a product, but by selling a mindset and using your product to put that mindset into practice. Secondly, how to avoid losing valuable capacity in your R&D department due to feature bloat. Thirdly, while rejecting or even firing a customer can be the best thing you can do to create a thriving SaaS business. And fourthly, that you can leverage your product in more ways than you maybe are aware of to create meaningful value. Hi, Shabbat. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. 
Yeah, that was an interesting one in itself. And I got introduced to you by Laura van Wezen, the guy that I met on a lunch club. And uh, when I informed him about what I was doing, what type of people I love to work with and the companies I love to work with, he said, you need to speak to the sisters, Naukert, kind of <laughs> referring to you and your twin sister and the company that you've created, Equalture. So here we are. Yeah, looking forward to the conversation. Uh, I already said in the beginning that I keep a list of remarkable websites and that's definitely uh, one where I've added your website of your company. So everybody that's listening, go there and learn how it should be done. Let's talk a little bit about you first. If you had to describe yourself in a couple of words, being an entrepreneur, what words come up? Oof, how many words do I get from you? Three, two. Oof, okay. Purpose-driven. Okay. Resilient. Love that. And the third one would be impatient. Very good. And the impatient part is always a good one to have being an entrepreneur. In most cases, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about, you know, kind of the change in the world that you see in front of you. And there's something, well, I mean, let's make that bridge now. I mean, the impatience typically starts with a big problem that you see in the market that's screaming to be solved. So literally the question here, like, what's the revolution you're trying to start, create? We started the company to change people's perspective on hiring, on recruiting people. And the reason why we started this company is I come from a background of recruitment. So I had a recruitment agency before I started this company. Oh, yeah. So I used to work for a lot of, well, let's say cool names from the outside, big corporates, mainly in the Netherlands. When I got to look from the inside, see how recruitment is going there. The discrimination still in the process, the subjectivity. Oh, it's my friend. Uh, you can work here. Or insane. What we've experienced over a couple of years when it comes to labor market discrimination, ranging exactly. from the most obvious cases, people with black sounding names, females, etc., but also just the weirdest stuff like, oh, someone worked at McKinsey. You must be a good one. Or I want someone from an Ivy League university, which is by default. Or it depends one-on-one on how privileged you were in your upbringing. So I got frustrated about the feeling of how unfair recruitment is. And that's something that I wanted to change with this company. Really good. I mean, that's where the purpose comes in. And I completely agree with you. It's happening far too often. And where it gets really tricky or scary is that people don't even realize it. But of course, yeah. that's, I think that's why it's called bias. And even worse yeah. when they do realize it, because there are a lot of people who are very conscious about their biases and still apply them to hiring settings. So maybe that's even worse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Really good. So, okay, that was the problem. And I mean, I completely acknowledge the problem. So you're sort of starting a movement here because you didn't even say like, we want to solve this or but you want to change perspective on hiring. So it's a much broader thing in itself than just, okay, we're going to create a solution. We're going to sell it. It's really... Yeah kind of changing the mindset in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, and that was at the start pretty difficult. When we started this company, I've always said to my twin sister, because my previous company was also with my twin sister, and tech company always fascinated me a lot. The scalability of technology, we now also have customers from all over the world. Of course, a service company, you can do that, but it's more difficult. But I had the typical B2B SaaS dream. Like I'm going to build a platform. It's going to sell itself, low touch. And we are going to get thousands of customers within the first year. And over time, over the last couple of years, I started to realize more and more, it's not a product that we sell to people. We really sell a mindset to people. And our product is just part of basically putting that mindset into practice. That has been a very big shift over the last couple of years for our team. 
Yeah, and I think a big revelation in terms of the traction that you create with it. But let's dig into that a little bit later because I got a couple of questions around that. What do you believe is the opportunity if we get this right? You know, if the world embraces the mindset, of course, uses your platform, equalture, how will the world be different? What is the value that is going to be going to experience? I think two things. On one hand, which I think should be the most important one, but it's unfortunately not the most important one we use to sell our products. Everyone should be equal in this world. And I know that that's a big statement to make, a big goal to achieve, but it's where you were born, how your upbringing was, whether you're a male or a female. It's so irrelevant to whether or not you're capable for a job. And I think everyone should be able to experience the privileges that I, for example, have. I was born in the Netherlands, by default, very privileged. Uh, so there's a social component to that. And I think the business component to it, we don't need to talk about it for too long. I think everyone knows by now, or at least I hope everyone knows. If you put aside the biases that you have around people, it leads to much better hiring decisions because you, based on your biases, you may wrongfully reject a great candidate and hire the wrong one instead. And eventually yeah. it's also with a tech company, it's the people who make or break your company. And so we literally build better businesses if we have the right people on board. Removing biases equals to better people on board. Yeah, exactly. Better people, better fit in the culture, just more coherence at the end. Yeah, I completely agree with that. This is an interesting one in itself. Like the equality, which of course is in the name in itself, is not the sales argument. So what is the biggest sales argument for businesses? Have you already yet touched upon that? Yeah, I think so. that's the argument that we are trying to make is still the inequality one, but from the perspective of a company, what yeah. can a company yeah, gain yeah. from putting it aside? And I had a webinar a couple of weeks ago with someone around the topic of neurodiversity, how you can help people on the spectrum, for example, getting hired for a job. And I mentioned the word business case. What would be your business case for companies that are not doing this? And she, uh, fair enough, she said to me, it's actually horrible in the first place that we need to call these kinds of things business cases. Unfortunately, that's still how it is. I won't be able to sell my product if I would go to a company and say, it is unfair what you're doing and you make people feel unlucky with what you're doing. I mean, yeah, let's be honest. At the end of the day, that's not what drives people to no, no, it's make that decision. It's indeed in the combination. It's in the cocktail. Exactly. So let me see. You talked about the aha moment. But then you start where you decide, okay, well, let's do something about it. Like real Dutch, get your hands dirty. How do you start? Because, I mean, I've been in the enterprise software space. We had an HR product. We were always partnering with recruitment-type apps. So there was not a shortage of recruitment-type applications. Maybe there was a shortage of the right ones. So what has been that early journey? What has been a very important decision that you made in the beginning to get going? Basically, just doing it. We had the formula to fill by default. If you would look at it from outside in, Two twin sisters of 20 years old. I think we were 20 years old or 21 years old when we started this company. No experience with technology. I didn't even know the difference between front-end and back-end when I started this company. I've no background in psychology, let alone the cognitive and behavioral neuroscience, which is what we use for our platform. Basically didn't know anything. I mean, I still know the moment that we decided to start this company. I Googled, how do you raise funding for a startup? I created just one pager and went to a couple of people. And then I think by accident, a lot of luck found our first investor. But we were just so naive and experienced about everything that we didn't see any pitfalls. So it was just going. If we would maybe come across an obstacle, it was just like, oh, well, let's Google your best friend. Let's find out how it works. 
And then we just keep going. I was the definition of naive at starting this company. Yeah, but I mean, see what it brought you. If I look at LinkedIn, started in May 2018, 40 people working for you right now. I see fantastic names on your website. It did something to you, that naivety. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And And I completely agree with that. And I've had not enough, but a good number of female founders on my podcast. And I think this is sort of the spirit that I see a lot. I remember Amy Williams from a company called Goodloop. I mean, she's ending in my book also with Just Start. And when you start, you're just already so far ahead of everyone else that thinks about it but never does it. That's how you get going. I love that mindset. And the other one I liked what you're saying is like, just have a mindset of fail by default. Expect it will go wrong and then fix it. That's the way to do it. All right. Let me see. On that journey, you start to create your first product. When was the product available for mainstream for to go to market to launch it? Well, we launched it at the start of 2019. Looking back at it, I would maybe not label that as an MVP. At that time, I thought it was enough for an MVP. I think we spent a bit less than a year on building the first version of the platform. Completely rebuilt it, by the way, in two years' time. So it was not a very good first version. So how did you figure out, first of all, like that maybe it was too early and it wasn't an MVP? I think the advantage that we had when we started this company is A, it's a likable story. Twin sisters, female, young, start a company with a very clear purpose. I think we were a likable company to partner up with. So we had a lot of very early stage customers. I think we just felt like we want to support them and what they're doing. And I must say, by the way, that the very first customers are still on board. So apparently they thought the product was at least good enough to stick around. But I think that at the start, this is always the balance that you need to find with a product company. What is the, am I selling a proper product or am I selling a vision, but the product is just not there? And I think you can sell a vision with a product that might be on 80%. But I think that looking back at it, we were maybe at 70%. Did you decide to go broad but not so deep or did you decide to go deep but not so wide was there anything around that particular angle well we built way too many features and a lot of features were completely useless and as a result of that we also had a lot of features that were maybe if you would ask one of my early days customers they would say the product was good enough for what we paid at that time also one of the mistakes we made, we just hired a freelance development team and we started wireframe and product together and we were thinking of feature. We're like, oh, cool, let's include that feature. And that feature also sounds cool. When you launch a product, eventually there were a lot of features that were too far away from the mission that we had as a company. And as a result of that, the features that were very much in line with what we tried to achieve might have been a bit too thin at the start. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah, I mean. definitely too broad. What is a big takeaway from there? With every feature you build on your platform, well, first of all, never expect your product to be done. Have a clear definition of done, because I think that's always the pitfall of launching a product. When is it good enough to go live? I'm happy that we did it maybe a bit too soon, rather than building on a product for years and years based on assumptions. And then it turns out to not be working because we literally built a product based on customer feedback. Uh, But nowadays, with every single feature that we are building in the platform, the question is always, is this feature in line with the mission statement that we have as a company? So the statement is, we want to shape the world of unbiased hiring. Is the feature that we are going to build in line with that statement? Or are we just building a feature because we get some customers here and there and then they're asking for some useful feature? 
that goes into the problem of segmentation. We'll talk about that later on. I like that point of about the definition of being done. I actually come from the environment whereby, you know, we're building a product for over a decade, for example, maybe even longer. Product was done sort of 10 years ago and it was still sort of, we need to add something. I mean, what else are we going to do with the roadmap? These are diseases. I mean, I've had Radhika Dutt on my podcast a couple of times, twice. And one of those kind of things that just keeps popping up why you think you need to do something and fill another gap. Because at the end, you've got customers that are not completely aligned with the ones that you really need to have. You go all over the place. Has there been a moment where you got stuck? For example, one of the things that you're saying is we have completely redeveloped the whole platform. Like, What drove that decision? So when we started this company, it was just me and Fleur. Well, as I said, zero experience with tech. But the beneficial thing was that Fleur, my twin sister, used to be an IT recruiter. So she knew some people and of course we did no background checks or whatever. Like we had no clue basically who those people were. Super nice people, by the way. But for example, the tech stack that they decided to work with, we had no clue. We were just like, yeah, go for it. And then luckily enough, after I think six months, we got introduced to a guy, Jaap. A month after we got introduced, uh, Jaap became our CTO and is still there. Yeah. And he looked at the platform for the first time, mainly the backend, and he was like, yeah, I think we need to maybe rebuild this because it's okay for now, but it's definitely not a scalable product. So I think we worked with that product for at least over a year. So customers were running on the product, but on the sidetrack, we were rebuilding it in a new tech stack. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some point it will, uh, it will hit you in the face, right? Yeah. But these, I mean, even for a startup, these are hard decisions because you've come so far. It's there, you can touch it, customers are using it. And then someone is saying, dead end road, start again. (laughs) Second time is always faster. Yeah. Well, I think that you asked the question, when did you get stuck? Or when did you have the feeling that you got stuck? I think I never have that feeling. For me, a lot needs to happen for me to really feel stuck. Like, of course, we run into problems every day. Every day there's something going on there that needs to be fixed. But I think we still have that naive mindset, like, oh, if we come across a pitfall hurdle, we just figure it out. So the feeling of being stuck is something that I never experienced actually in this company. Yeah, of course, that is also mindset, because there's always a way around it. But it's having to say goodbye to that investment you already made, sunk cost. We had a lot of sunk cost. (laughs) I call it learning money, by the way. Yeah, that's right. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah, you launched it, you said 2019. One of the things, like, what did you learn in the sales process? And I've pointed already out to your kind of a thumbs up for your website, because on your website, I think what you've done very cleverly in the language that you use is that you attract a certain type of customer mm-hmm. rather than we're the best hiring solutions for everybody, every size, every country, whatever. You attract a particular mindset, which is, from my perspective, always the thing to do because it will help you get traction, but you attract the right type of customers that use it for the right reasons. Again, I would say, so when we started, we had the exact same tone of voice, very confrontational, really focusing on the purpose behind the company. Then we started to grow, also started to hire a marketing team in the company and a mistake that we definitely made. And I'm very happy that we found out quite soon after we made that mistake is Our content and the messaging and also the sales process was really focused on unbiased hiring at the start. Then we got more and more customers. You also get a lot of customers, of course, who are maybe not that aligned with your vision. They just want to have your product because they want to have an assessment, for example, in our case. And we got some VCs on board. So all of a sudden you need to 
show outside people that you can reach your targets. And as a result of that, you're going to try to make your product work for everyone. And in our case, it was not only trying to make a product work for everyone, but our message also got more and more vague because of that. So all of a sudden we started promoting playbooks around how to decrease your time to hire, how to be more efficient with your resource, which is definitely not a reason why you should be working with our platform. There are a lot of tools out there that are much better at creating an efficient workflow that we can do for you. At the start of this year with our marketing team, where we said, what we are now communicating to people is not who we are. We are now just trying to get customers on board, but this is not the reason why we started this company. And then very drastically, we went back to that messaging again. This is why we do it. If you don't agree with what we do or why we do what we do, no hard feelings, but then you shouldn't be our customer. Which also meant that we started to even let go of some customers. Let me make a small interruption here. Charlotte just made a critical remark about what makes her business successful. They take position and act on it. Taking position allows them to become a magnet for exactly the right customers with one simple line on their homepage. Customers that instantly say, that's me, you got me, this is what I want, and this is what we need. It's a trade remarkable software company's master. They acknowledge they cannot please everyone, and that's okay. And with that, they can hone in on the essence, hit the right nerve, and create pull from the market with something valuable and desirable. And you can master these traits as well. And the first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. And just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. As an example, we had a customer a couple of months ago who started talking to us about LGBT in the company. And then he made a comment around, I also don't want to hire autistic people. It's super hard to work with them. And I was not in that call, but my head of customer success called me afterwards. And that was a reason for me to just call the customer and say, like, if this is your vision on thing, the LGBT plus community is difficult for you and you don't want to hire autistic people, we are the last product that you should be working with. Yeah. So I think it's time to say goodbye to each other. Very strong. Very strong. It speaks for what you stand for. And I think that brings you far further than just trying to be everything to everybody. I'm preaching to the wrong person here because I wrote a book about it almost. But what happened after you made that decision? Everything went much better, of course. That's the problem at the end. A lot of people think, well, first of all, don't dare to do it. And they also don't believe it's going to be better. Well, I don't have to tell you, of course, you wrote an incredible book about it, is that if you try to trigger everyone with your message, no one will get triggered. and What we see now is, it's interesting to see. So we got a new customer a couple of months ago. I think I can't mention their name in a big large corporate. To be fair, we are actually not that different from the tool they used before they started to work with us. Yeah, slightly different assessments. We have a gamified format, which is better. But in the essence of the product, at least 75% overlap between our products. Yeah. But because we position ourselves really as ambassadors on BiCyber, we want to change status quo. They actually came to us saying like, we now work with a provider and we have a feeling that they're really not aligned with what we are trying to achieve. We follow you on LinkedIn already for a couple of years. Uh, You have the right, you guys get the right drive, really want to make a change. And they started working with us. So if you stick to that message for that small group of people, that company would not have bought our product if our message had been too general. And all the people who bought our product because our message was general already left. Yeah. You highlight a very important point for that small group of people, which is often connected to, and it's also a small total addressable market, which is, of course, a very big thing for investors. 
How did they yeah. react? Well, the beneficial thing is that we have an impact investor in our company. And that really helps. So that means that we always balance the social impact that we are making with our company and the commercial impact that we are making with our company. Well, you've seen me now for 45 minutes. I have quite a strong opinion about things. And so I think that if we have always been very outspoken about this, this is why we started the company. This is what we want to change. So I think we naturally filtered out investors that were not interested in what we were doing and not necessarily what we are doing, but more why we are doing it. Uh, you also made a point a couple of minutes ago, or maybe even before the call, you tried to impress the investors at the end with the fact that you can sell to anybody. I mean, I got a very big opinion about that, that too many SaaS companies or technology companies ending up in a funding, in a vicious funding cycle out of desperation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the kind of the artist at the end is to get into a funding cycle out of choice because it's something where you can play a strength. And I think that's what you found here. That's a way better position to start from. I mean, how many customers do you have right now? I think a bit over 300, something like that. That's what I mean. There's a great number of names on that. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What has been the biggest selling lesson or sales lesson that you take out of getting to the 300? That you always have to challenge people. So we also apply the challenger sales method to our sales process. So we are honest about what we think is going wrong at a company. I give people sometimes some unwanted advice during the call. Maybe it has nothing to do with my product, but if I hear what you're saying now, that's probably not the way you should be doing it. So position yourself as an expert and don't be afraid to be that expert and saying stuff that can sometimes hurt a little bit to hear. Because it also makes you feel credible if people can see that you know what you're talking about and that you also dare to be honest. So I also call customers every now and then if I see something on their website or, for example, you say like, I know that it's really not my business, but FYI, I think that's maybe not the way to go. Well, we spoke about it before and your book was a great contribution to that, but reject people, reject companies that are too far away from your ideal customer profile. Yeah. Very good advice. Very good advice. Okay, let's talk a little bit crisis here. 2020 hits, March, everything on lockdown. What did it do to you? Because you just had a product. You just started to onboard first customers. You're at the point where you've just been investing and now the money needs to start kind of playing out a little bit. What happened? Actually, we also had another factor. We raised our very first round from VCs and uh, we closed it a week before the lockdown in the Netherlands started. We were with a team of seven people and we also hired seven people who started on the 1st of March. So we doubled the team in that month. And when COVID started, the first thing I said to my investors, by the way, is I'm not going to fire anyone. Fire me then if you don't agree with that, but I'm not going to fire any of those new seven people because it's a difficult situation for everyone to be in now. And I think we also should not panic when things like these happen. Eventually they appreciated it. I don't know if they appreciated it at the start. But yeah, we were heavily impacted by COVID. We were very small also in terms of revenue. We had a lot of churns because we worked mainly for very small companies back then. Uh, We now shifted more towards bigger companies back back then. A lot of small companies that all had the exact same issue, of course. 
So I think we saw a decrease in revenue of more than 30%, I think, in one month. And although that was a hard period, I think for me personally, it was also a very hard period. I lost a bit track of myself also, I think. I literally, at those moments, you think, oh, if I just work more, then maybe I can fix some stuff. So I literally went to bed at like 2 a.m. and then woke up at 5 a.m. and did that for a couple of weeks until uh, well, I realized that that's not really the way to go. But as harsh as it sounds, I really hope that every founder gets confronted with a crisis very early on in their company because it's the mindset that you create in a time of crisis. We need to always be focused on how can we do things better. It's so important to have. And I know that when we closed our funding round, we literally doubled our MR in a couple of months. It was very small, but still doubling your MRs then sounds impressive. And everything was going fairly easy. Onboarding customers went easy. Customers also didn't leave. We literally didn't know of how churn worked when COVID started. We never had a churn before. And when COVID started, I also said to my co-founders, like, we should be very critical about everything that we do. What are the processes that we have, the internal, but also external? Where do we spend money on? Can you give an yeah. example? Yeah, how that turned out examples. in terms of decisions that you made? More critical about investments, definitely. Not just running a marketing campaign and see what happens, but someone needs to give a good pitch before you can run a big marketing campaign restructured our entire onboarding process to improve the stickiness for our customers. We definitely started looking more critical at, do we need to hire someone because it's normal to hire people every now and then if you raise funding, or is it because we really need to have someone in the team? So I think those are just some examples. You get more sharp. It's good to see that running a business is not just a given. It doesn't just happen and If it's going right, it doesn't mean it will always keep going right. And I think that's something that if you learn that early on in the company, that this can happen, maybe tomorrow a different pandemic starts and things flip around. You need those skills to show resilience there. Yeah. If you take the whole period of that crisis, of course, everything at some point came back together again. What have you done during that period to not only bounce back, but actually become stronger? Uh, do you have an example of yeah. kind of something that you would not have achieved, but have achieved because of it? Well, something that we did when COVID started that turned out to be quite a smart move. Everyone needed to work from home, of course, all of a sudden. And a lot of companies at that time were definitely not used to having people work from home. And we, of course, have games in our platform, usually being leveraged to make the right hiring decision, but also games that can provide you insights into How can we help people with remote working? Remote working requires a certain skill set. So what we did when COVID started is we very quickly built some sort of MVP. We called it remotely, where our existing customers, but also just leads, could as a one-off analyze their team. And we would provide them insights into the remote working skills and to what extent people had that and what they could do in order to get better at remote working. And it actually turned out to be a lead source for us because the other companies that bought the remotely product actually came to us when things were calming down a little bit, saying, hey, we actually like those games. Can we now also use it for a hiring process now that we are hiring again? Something I think that we definitely learned from it is that you can leverage a product in more ways maybe than you were aware of initially that still can serve the right purpose. Because now, for example, a lot of companies that also use our product for internal mobility, which is something that I never thought about. Internal mobility is also by definition super biased in companies. Like, oh, it's my friends. I like them. So they get a promotion sooner than someone else. 
And that's something that I never thought about before that moment. So I think seeing that you with the same vision and the same product, you can still leverage your product in a different way to serve that same goal. Yeah, and to serve a kind of a shifting problem within your customer base and still yeah. solve it in a way that's remarkable. Yeah, very interesting idea. And one thing that triggered me when you said it is we did a lot of work to, or a lot of work, we started to focus on improving the stickiness. Mm-hmm. Any example of that? Yeah, so for example, when we had customer success quite early on in our company, I think literally our third or fourth hire was a customer success manager. So we were aware of the importance of customer success quite early on. But when companies started working on our product, it used to be just one call explaining here's the platform. Best of luck with it. And then when COVID started, we also, of course, experienced like, hey, there are a lot of questions that companies now have. And of course, we can't answer all of it, but we are experts in what we do. So maybe our onboarding process should be much more broad and it should also be focused on education, not only how does the product work, but also why do we need a product like that? And how can you leverage it in the best way? And how is that going to change your view on what you're doing? So our onboarding went from very low touch to well, a lot of onboarding calls, training, stuff like that, that we all, by the way, also ask money for. So it's not that we all do it for free. And that's definitely a big shift that we made there, which I'm super happy about because we've also really seen that companies need that educational part. Exactly. Yeah, I think it builds a better relationship. It proves again that it's not only about, you know, being super lean and product-led growth. These things, of course, they work for certain type of products, but the opposite can be true as well. And that can really work, work to your advantage. And I think that a lot of, I think I said it when we spoke in this call before the recording started, I also had that feeling of, oh, I, I have a B2B SaaS company. Now I need to be that typical B2B SaaS company with like zero touch and everything skills without any human interference. I think that a lot of founders desperately hold on to that idea. I think low touch is bullshit for a lot of companies. If more touch can result in customers sticking around and using your product better, and you can also ask money for it along the way, then why wouldn't you do that? People are prepared to pay premium for these type of things as well, because at the end, it's about the outcomes that they are achieving with it. And having connection with the experts, is fantastic. All right. You read my book. And I got some interesting comments from you on LinkedIn on that. There's these 10 traits that define, well, according to what I've seen, define remarkable software companies. What do you believe are the traits that have helped you create a business that people talk about? Being different, definitely being different. Our website, you would never find the word better, I think. I think that you are just positioning yourself as one of those companies doing that. And if better is somewhere on our website, then please let me know because then we immediately need to change it. No, making sure that you're different and communicate why you also want to be different. I think that's by far the most important one. I read an interesting book during my holiday about why some products go viral and in there they also mention it like there should be an emphasis on we don't just want to be on the safe side and say that we are doing things better we should just be adventurous and try to be different there but what's the book yeah oh i am going to look it up for you after the okay. episode well, maybe you can put it in the comments <laughs> exactly exactly but i mean of course yeah it's like trade number three you know remarkable software companies aim to be different not just better i can only agree with that so Getting towards the top of the hour or the quarter of the hour, um, from the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time and learned over time building equalture, what would be a do or what would be a don't that you would share with peer CEOs, peer entrepreneurs in this space? Difficult question. I spoke about it already, but do stay close to 
the why behind your company. I mean, the what and the how is going to change a hundred times over the lifetime of a company. But as long as the why stays the same, I think you're still serving the goal that you should serve. Don't think that you always need to be in control of everything that happens in your company. I am the embodiment of a control freak. I think my team can definitely acknowledge that. But you need to learn how to let go and let people maybe make a mistake. I think that was for me the very tricky thing. When I had the feeling that I was losing control is when people were making mistakes, mostly for small mistakes. But if you are a young company, then every mistake feels like, oof, maybe this could lead to my company failing. We can't uh-huh. afford any mistakes. We are so young. We need to do everything right and we need to have everything right. And as a result of that, you don't create ownership in a company. Like everyone knows, oh, if I if I mess up, then probably Charlotte is going to take care of it anyways because she's probably checking everything that happened during the day. And to be fair, I did. I could literally just check emails that were being sent to customers to note down feedback on how we could do that differently. But you don't create a team with ownership because of that. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a no-brainer. Everyone tells it to you. But I've seen it from both sides. Now that people have a lot of ownership versus I was not giving anyone any ownership. That first stage was not fun for me, but also not for the people around me. That's completely correct. Nice closing words. Thank you very much for sharing the journey. Love the mission that you're on. Thanks for sharing the anecdotes about what worked and what didn't work for your company and being open about it. I'm going to follow you on your journey. I really can keep my fingers crossed both for you that it's going to be a reality sooner rather than later. It's going to happen eventually. exactly thanks and thanks for inviting me and this ends my conversation with Charlotte and I hope you enjoyed it and if so please leave a review on iTunes and if it inspired you please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network other than that thank you for tuning into this podcast I had the honor to speak to Charlotte Melkert co-founder and CEO of Equalture as said the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold firstly to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. 
Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.